Views expressed on this program are those of the sponsors and do not necessarily reflect the views of the station. Discussions in this show should not be construed as specific recommendations or investment advice. Always consult with your investment professional before making important investment decisions. Securities offered through Cambridge Investment Research Incorporated, a registered broker-dealer, member FINRA and SIPC. Investment Advisor Representative, Cambridge Investment Research Advisors Incorporated, a registered investment advisor. Indices mentioned are unmanaged and cannot be invested into directly. Asset allocation and diversification strategies cannot assure profit or protect against loss. Past performance is no guarantee of future results. Capital Retirement Strategies and Cambridge Investment Research are not affiliated. Number, do you want to guess? I'll put you on the spot. Yes, 53. Oh, no, it's a number you should like. Oh, 57. 57, My, my yes. age. I don't want to call out your age here. Don't anything, worry, but... it's fine. <laughs> yes, episode number 57. Thanks for joining us. We're now in September here. Um, we have, for me, I've sent the kids back to school. I know most of our listeners their kids are kind of way beyond that. So yeah, my son just started his job. He just graduated from college in May, and he just started his job. So I have three employed children right now, which is wow. a good thing. Yeah, and I'm not it's, paying for their schooling right now, right? Which and is also a good thing. Isn't three people employed with no student loans or minimal student loans? That's pretty. Uh, that's big. It's it's fantastic. It's one of those things that we work on with our clients and almost all of our clients when they're in this position are are pretty happy about that. Yep. All right. So we were talking about what to talk about here today and no one topic seemed like it was worthy of an entire podcast. So we decided to do one of these grab bag kind of cover whatever we want to talk about for a couple of minutes topics um, so I think we start off, Dave, with something that you said to a client no more than half an hour ago. Yeah. And I think this is a really good way to think about your stock investments because everybody out there, everybody's listening. We know that stocks will go up, stocks will go down. We're bombarded with information about the economy, about what's going on is, you know, trade policy and blah, blah, blah. So, so what- I, well, I was saying and. Sometimes you think of things, when you think of something that makes sense, it's not like you sit around, hmm, pondering. I want to think of something that makes sense. It just sort of came out of my mouth. We just did that. But I was basically telling the client who, you know, I I think is one of our, an average kind of risk tolerance for a lot of our clients. They understand the market's going to go down, but they're certainly not thrilled when it does. Oh, yeah. I mean, a guy in his mid-60s who is... Not retiring right away, but, you know, let's face it, he's not going to work for another 20 years. He's going to retire in the next decade for sure. Yeah, and we were talking about the ups and downs of the market, and I, I said, you know what? We, people should, or at least you and I, think about when we putting together these portfolios, thinking about our stock portfolio like we do about our real estate, or in more particular, our house. Right. So when my house goes down, it's a bad year for the real estate market, and my house goes down. 
I'm not like looking at Zillow and seeing that it lost like $70,000 or whatever mm-hmm. you lose on your house and say, I'm selling my house. Right. You don't look at it that way. You look at Zillow and say, hmm, my house is down right now. What else am I going to do? Because your home is in, in, in your real estate. Most people look at their real estate. It's a long-term deal. Yep. I expect to make some money on my house over 10, 15, 20 years or more. And my point is that's exactly that's how we look at our investment portfolios, the stock side of our investment portfolios, and it's really how you should look at it. Yeah, but uh, you know, here comes the problem because everybody can can nod their head and smile and say, "Yeah, yeah, absolutely, that's what I think of." The problem is that it's hard to sell your house and it's easy to sell your stocks. Uh, I mean, you can make a decision to sell your stocks in two minutes. You call up your advisor, you go on, log on to your account online. You've decided, you know what? I've seen this go down. I'm getting out. But you're right. The same underlying principles, the same fundamental thought process should be going through your head. And and I've, I've never fully understood this, but I've kind of talked around the same thought that you had is people sort of intuitively know when real estate values go down, oh, maybe that's a good buying opportunity. You know, right. maybe, maybe I should get that. When stock values go down, very few people, uh, a very few people say, hey, that's a good buying opportunity. Most of them think, oh my gosh, I got to get out before it goes down more. And, and even continuing that, look at Zillow. Do you yeah. look at Zillow every day to see how your home value is doing? I certainly don't. Right. I occasionally say, hey, you know what? I haven't looked at Zillow in like a year. Yeah. I want to just see where my home is valued right now or websites like that. Oh, that's interesting. And you move on versus your stock portfolio that many you people can't. or even CNBC that you look at the S&P 500 or whatever going up and down every day. Well, I mean, you can't turn on, let's say you turn on WTOP, you're in the car, you're listening to the news, you're going to hear how stocks are doing. And so that's going to impact you. You're going to feel that, you know, what they call wealth effect of when stocks are doing well, you feel good about it. You feel like, oh, okay, I can spend. And when they go down, you're going to feel, oh, gosh, we got to pull back. we got to tighten up. We don't have that much money. Um, so I think that's a, a really good bullet point to invest in stocks like you invest in your home. Right? You're not going to sell based on, yeah. you know, you're going to change your house. You might sell your house because your situation has changed. This would be the same as, okay, I'm going to sell my stocks because my situation has changed. I'm going to retire earlier or later or I need more income or less income you know that has changed not because there's been a trade war or something like that yep all right topic number one checked off <laughs> not that we you know have to cover a certain ones or, or whatever but here's the next thing this was from a blog that I follow called the wealth of common sense I've probably referred to this before. Um, And it's called Reframing the Next Downturn. And as always, I'll post a link to this article right down here below the podcast. Um, But I thought this was a good one just because, you know, when you talk about, okay, we're going to have a recession, the stock market is going to go down, you think of this... Sorry. Yeah, so when we think about 
the last market decline, the big decline in 2008, 2009, ever since that time period, the discussion, the narrative out there has been, when is the next big decline coming? And we had this discussion, you know, in 2009, 2010, 11. Oh, well, all this quantitative easing is creating all this inflation and we're going to have runaway inflation and we're going to have, you know, devaluation of U.S. currency. And you went through all these scenarios of things that could happen that haven't happened yet. Right. Do you know how many things you and I have heard over the last 10 years? Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. About the next big decline. We've gone decline. through. It could actually be a uh, <clears throat> just a, a documentary on all these things. Remember the uh, what was the one that everybody was the fiscal cliff? Oh, yeah. If I had to point to one fiscal that cliff. we heard People the most of from clients who were freaking out, and this was definitely, it was the fiscal cliff. And remember the term that went with it? Sequestration? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I mean, I haven't even heard that term in years. I mean, this was, this is what, back in 2011? Yeah, this it was around then. Yeah, I, I don't know. There's, I get there's it all been, mixed up. Uh, it's interesting, though. There have been so many things and so many scares right. over now so many years that it does become it actually does become psychologically difficult to deal with i totally understand our yeah. clients who are starting to have you know well <laughs> trouble dealing but here's, with this here's here's the uh blow by blow analysis of the economy in 2009 versus today unemployment right now 3.7 percent 2009 hit a high of around 10 percent Inflation is basically non-existent despite all this monetary policy, unprecedented monetary policy from the Fed. Right? They'd never done quantitative easing like that or you know, they certainly cut interest rates before, but unprecedented and we still don't have any sign of inflation. I mean, the Fed would actually like a little bit of inflation. Um, we have government bond rates that are very subdued. Um, and this is despite the fact that the U.S. credit rating was downgraded in 2011. Yeah. And, and it's also, remember these scares, I'm just going to throw out, do not just come from, hey, a client or a, a, a consumer or a, quote, regular person no, being these worried are about stuff. These are huge. This is, again, we've talked about this on a different podcast. That time you and I went to that retired Fed chief yep. guy at Turf Valley with all the yep. other financial experts out there listening to this super expert go through a million charts and a super frightening discussion about how we're going to have a huge stock downturn within a year and a half. When yeah. was that? That was, I believe, the spring of 2013 we went to that thing. <laughs> yeah, I remember that. And he very clearly and logically laid out why the market was overvalued by it was something like 25, 27% based on historical numbers and you know very clearly laid out why the market was going to correct to that in the next year, year and a half. Did that happen? No, obviously it didn't. Um, what about this? Back to the comparison to 2009, oil prices down 60%, you know, from 120 oh, yeah. a barrel in 2011 to wherever we stand now. Um, the stock market is basically tripled, quadrupled since then. Um, there are negative interest rates around the globe, and we are in the longest economic expansion in modern U.S. history. So 
these are all things that if you told somebody 10 years ago they were going to happen, they just they just wouldn't believe that we're in the position that we're in right now. They would have thought, well, the economy is going to collapse again or all this quantitative easing is going to lead to runaway inflation or, you know, pick your scenario out there. And I always think these things are a good humbling reminder of how complex and difficult it is to predict and why the prediction business is not is not one that we get into. You know, we're not going to sit there and say, okay, I think let's you and predict. I actually behind closed doors. There are no closed doors with a podcast like this, but you and I are basically don't think you can predict it. Yep. It's not short term. Short term predictions are we've made this point a million different times. It's similar to picking the redskin game. Right. Which is a perfect example. Oh, <laughs> what's Vegas come up with? Ten and a half points. The Redskins, this result already happened. Today's Monday after the first Redskins game. So the Redskins were ten and a half point underdogs to Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. And you could go anywhere you want. But the bottom line is I was like, I don't like that point spread because I'm a Redskin fan. And I'm so the Redskins jump off 17 nothing. Yeah, which means what from a point spread point of view, they were up twenty seven and a half points, and they were dominating the Eagles. <laughs> and you might say, "Well, the Reds can start off well; they might lose the game." Right. But you weren't thinking that point spread was in jeopardy. Well, I got news for you: it came down to the bitter, <laughs> the end very last with that point spread. <laughs> yeah. And quite frankly. The Eagles were going to cover that point spread, and then the Redskins scored a trash touchdown at the very end of the game with six seconds left yeah, totally to cover meaningless. the 10.5. So once again, picking short-term, trying to figure this out, no matter what evidence might look like and what expert says what, is similar to trying to bet on football games. And most people know that betting on football games boils down to luck, mm-hmm. not skill. <laughs> And that's really the end game of these short-term predictions for things. All right. Let's move on to number three in our hodgepodge here. I think we've given equal time to each one. Once again, this is not something that's brand new or groundbreaking, but I I saw this article uh, from Mary Beth Franklin. Um, Mary Beth Franklin, if you're familiar with her, I've heard her speak a couple of times she, uh, she writes an awful lot about Social Security, different filing strategies, uh, but just on the, the topic of retirement income in general. Um, so she wrote this article that I will once again post a link to where she interviewed this uh, advisor who'd been in the business for know, 35 years, helping people create and manage retirement income plans. And he uses a strategy that a lot of us use, but maybe don't always call it this same thing, but he uses a strategy called bucketing. And bucketing basically means that you divide up your assets into different categories to say, what money am I gonna need that has to be safe, I'm gonna need in the next five years, right? What's appropriate for this? CDs, money market accounts, ultra short-term bonds, things like that, right? That's money that you know, stock market plunges, the economy tanks, you know, short of a general collapse of the infrastructure of the <laughs> of the financial infrastructure, you're going to have that money. Then you go to uh, that second tier, the intermediate term type of stuff, where this might be money that you need, you know, five to 10 years. And then you go to the long term money. And this is the growth oriented money. And I think this really comes into play when we're talking with people about what is their asset allocation 
you know, oh, my 60-40 or my 70-30. One of the things that we'll look at is not always that absolute percentage, but how many years could you survive in a market downturn? Right. Right. And to be able to survive, what do you need to have? You got to have cash. You got to have bonds. You've got to have annuities. You've got to have pensions. You've got to have things that are going to pay you, even though the stock market might be down 50 or 60%. Um, so I, I always think that bears repeating a, a good idea and a strategy that we uh, essentially employ. But, you know, she's interviewing somebody here who's got years and years of experience and saying this is the best way to be able to weather these ups and downs. Yeah, I, I find this to be the number one. I, I mean, I, I think that's, I read that also and thought it was interesting, but I think this is the number one thing that I deal with. And so you don't run into this, Steve, but I do because I'm old. I'm older than you. Not, <laughs> I hate to say that when a lot of people listening are older than me. But we talked about I'm 57. So people I run, the circles I run in, the people I just meet randomly mm-hmm. are all around my age and right. older. So they're thinking about retirement. So besides our job, I just run the people, Dave, what do you do? <laughs> besides talking about sports all the time, oh, I, I do retirement planning. Really? Because <laughs> I always wonder if I have enough money. Wonder how my, I hope my investments do well. Right. And so if they can be retired or not, you know, or in that age group of 57, you know, where I am to whatever, 63. And they always ask, well, what do you guys do? And I said, what we just, what you just went over is sort of what you need to start thinking about. Like, where's the money coming from? You know, it's, it's, that is the basics of retirement planning that a lot of people who are listening to this podcast already get. Yeah. If you're listening to this, you already understand what Steve just said and maybe enhanced your view. You should know that when you go to a cocktail party and you're not us and you're talking to people about it, that's a good thing to start to mention to people um, what they really should be looking at. This topic is like, you just got to start thinking about it's sometimes when you hear this advice from a regular person, not someone who's in our business, it helps people sort of get off the ball. You got to start thinking how much Social Security is coming in. Mm-hmm. Where is this other money coming from? Why right. Why do I need to be able to hold on to my stocks even though they're down and I'm withdrawing money? It is like the number one thing that is, I'm not going to say hidden, it's just never talked. It's not a sexy topic, so you don't see it on the, the front pages of CNBC or the other websites about no. withdrawal strategies. It's much more fun to talk about XYZ stock has quadrupled in the last six months versus, well, you if you employ this strategy, you can take three and a half or 4% withdrawal instead of three. Well, that's not exciting at all. No. But that that's what it comes down to is trying to figure out how much can I safely, safely withdraw and how do I ride out the ups and downs? Because there will be ups and downs and I can't, be for most people can't be invested all in safe conservative no stock market investments i have to have some risk in there so how do i balance getting income now and living off of it and also getting that growth to get me to last 20 or 30 years yeah this is where i find the uh the do-it-yourselfers out there you know (laughs) why hey why why should i pay a fee to a financial advisor Mm -hmm. these are some of the reasons why you're expecting the right investment choices from a financial advisor, but you should also be expecting for the fee you pay this kind of advice, which is very difficult to come about on your own. It's difficult to, you know, actually do it. Hey, we have pretty sophisticated software, mm-hmm. not a, not in a retirement income calculator online to help us do this stuff. 
And it's also, just from an emotional point of view, difficult to do this work, which yep. is which is probably a commercial, not just for us, but any other financial advisor who, like, why would I use one and why wouldn't I? When it comes to that article you just went over and, and some of these strategies, this is... This is where it really matters. All right. Thanks for joining us. We'll check in again next month.